That's scripture from Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, the Shema, the great command of God. So we are considering that today as we wrap up this series we've been doing since the first of the year on spiritual disciplines. And I'm blessed today to be able to share with you about simplicity, which kind of takes all those disciplines and funnels them towards the target that God has given our hearts. That is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then out of that will flow love to our neighbor. So this is a great, great thing that God's called us to, a, an infinite transformation that we're in the process of making as we become simple like God. The Lord our God is one. Theologians speak about God's attributes. They say that God is simple. And in that, they mean that everything He is, He is all the time from every part of His being. He never changes. You and I are very changeable. We're mutable. But God is immutable. He's always just. He's always merciful. He's always gracious. He's always full of wrath. He is who He is always in all things, everything together unified. And we're called to that pursuit. And simplicity is the discipline that that has been assigned that, that terminology. We're called to a discipline of simplicity. So I want to recommend to you a book. Howard's already recommended one book uh, to you from uh, Richard Foster. This one is simply called Simplicity, wherein Richard Foster takes one of the chapters out of his book about the celebration of discipline and writes a whole book on it. It's called Simplicity. It's a tremendous book. I'd encourage you to, to buy it. You can get it cheap. It's 40 years old. You've got to be able to get it on Amazon for four or five bucks and free shipping if you've got Amazon Prime. So I encourage you to get this book. It's a it's a great resource, a great reference, and it'll absolutely challenge and comfort and encourage you in great ways because uh, this man really knew from where he sp spoke. So I want to share with you this morning just this idea of simplicity with a, with a few thoughts. Uh, first of all, uh, let me just read some things to you to, to save your ears. You and I were saved to be perfect. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so you and I are called to that, to pursue this perfection, to be at one with Him and to reflect Him. When God created, He said, let's make man and woman in our image. And so He created us that way to reflect the fullness of His glory. Sin has complicated the picture. Here we are called to simplicity, but sin in our lives and sin in this age complicates the idea of simplicity. And really, simplicity is not easy. In fact, it's even complex, but it's a different kind of complexity than you and I are used to. You know, there's six million parts in a Boeing 747. That's a lot. I don't know who counted those. Six million parts in a Boeing 747. I don't know how many parts there are in us, but there are trillions of cells. And yet we are formed for this one purpose, to know God, to enjoy Him, and to portray Him in life. And so we begin this pursuit of simplicity when Jesus saves us. We're being conformed in the image of Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing to think? That you and I, when we see Him face to face, we will become like Him because we will see Him as He is. We will reach that point where we are conformed to the image of Christ. Well, that's a high calling, isn't it? That's higher than being president of the United States. Who can name the 13th president of the United States? Run down. Yeah. But we can name Jesus, can't we? We can name Jesus. And as we name him and we are drawn toward him, God transforms us. So let me just share with you a few statements that I wrote down as I meditated and thought about this discipline of simplicity, what that means, what it entails, what it looks like, where it's taking us. Simplicity ultimately costs everything that we have. But when we finish paying for it, we'll think, man, that was cheap. Because it's giving us an infinite reward to see God face to face, to have the beatific vision. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow. That's the call to simplicity, to be able to look upon Him, see Him in all of His glory, and to know Him. God paid this infinite price for us, and He is a giver. God is a giver. That's part of His nature. And so He desires that we reflect His giving, to give our lives back to Him without reserve, that we don't be conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind because our bodies even belong to God. Not just what we might consider holy, a, a soul or a spirit or, or some kind of intellectual processes, but our whole body, these hands, these feet, everything that we are belongs to God. And he says, give me that back and you'll be blessed beyond measure. And so we begin this journey of simplicity, and it really is a journey because nobody in this auditorium has seen God face to face yet, but we will. And we're on this journey, and as a man called John Wimber, he was fond of saying, he said, you know, the journey is the destination. If we want to simply behold God, we start now looking to Him. We start simplifying now, focusing everything upon God. That's a, that's a complex issue, isn't it? Because we're made up of a lot of interests. We have a lot of thoughts. We've got a lot of relationships. We have a lot of material goods. We are a wealthy people in so many ways. And God says, aim all of that in this simple place. And that is what Paul describes in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, from a good conscience and sincere faith. Isn't that something? Think about life being an arrow shot out to land in that bullseye. And love is the bullseye. God wants us to be people full of love, giving out of love, giving back to God what he's given to us and those around us as he blesses us. Simplicity is essentially being perfect as our Heavenly Father is. It's a function of a simple trust in God. Jesus expresses this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, listen. He said, I don't want you to have anxiety about anything. But the only way that we cannot have anxiety in life is to simply trust God for who he is and the promises he's made. He said, you know, don't be worried about what you're going to wear. You know what you're going to drive, where you're going to live. Don't be worried about these things. Trust me, I've got you covered. I've got your back. I've got you past, present, and future. Trust me. We can't become simple. We can't go toward God, becoming more and more like Him if we don't trust Him with the very elemental aspects of life. And so He calls us to that. It's a journey and it's a destination. Simplicity is all about divesting ourselves of who we are. Jesus said it so uh, profoundly when he, he spoke to His disciples. He said, you know... He said, if you don't hate your mother and your father, your brothers and your sisters, in comparison for your love for me, he said, you're going to miss the kingdom. He said, it's so much better to love me with all of your heart because then he begins to arrange our heart the way that it should be so that we reflect God, so that we enjoy God. So I want to share you this object lesson. I'm going to play like we're in the kids', in the kids sermon right now, okay? And I know, I know if you're at the back, you probably can't read this. And like I said at 8.30, that's why you're supposed to sit up closer. Right? We're not supposed to be praying like we're Baptists. We're supposed to be Presbyterians up here. You know, get close. So this, is, this, this box represents our treasure. You know, we all got a lot of stuff that we treasure, don't we? Okay? There's a lot of things that we treasure. Primarily, you know, I guess you could call it all stuff. You know, y'all got stuff that you really value. And sometimes you forgot you even have it. It's back there in that back corner of the closet. You're doing spring. Oh, yeah, I really like that thing. But we even forget the stuff we have. So I'm thinking about cars and planes, boats, clothes, jewelry, shoes. This is what I like. I like shoes, you know. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a shoe fetish type guy. I like to buy shoes. My wife's kind of weaned me off that over the years. She makes fun of me. 
But I bought these shoes for $8. In 2012, in a secondhand store in Olympia, Washington, I bet they weren't worn maybe one or two times. And since I don't dress up very often, they're going to last me a lifetime. And they're orange. I really like them. But we have all this stuff, don't we? We get attached to stuff that we like. Sometimes, if we get too attached, we could even call that an addiction. If we get so attached that we push important things out of the way, that could become an addiction. Then we got this uh, stuff I call creation. Some people are real creation people. I love creation. I love to go out and watch the cumulonimbus clouds float across, you know. I like to think about God behind that and how he set that stage for his creation to be enjoyed, but it's always to point back to him. Some people worship creation. So much so that they'll spend exorbitant amounts of money to try to get out and block people from, from catching certain fish that are causing others to be caught in the nets. They'll, they'll give up time and family. They'll desert all kinds of important things in order to guard creation. But the Creator is much greater than the creation. And only He knows how to steward it. And if we don't seek Him first, then we can't steward creation. Then there's, there's uh, people that really like property. i got some names for property here. See if any of these... Touch home. Homes, lands, houses, cabins, ranches, farms, mineral rights. We get a lot of property. We accumulate that. Some people, they play a game like that. Ted, what's the guy's name? Ted Turner. That's his, that's his game in life is to accumulate property. He's going to accumulate that property. But you know what? He's going to die, isn't he? And property simply points us to the reality that God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all things in them and all the people therein. Power. A lot of people prefer power. Offices, titles, political offices, church, economies, affluent influence, and physical power. But power always wanes. But we fight over it, don't we? We ask and we don't receive the things we want because we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions rather than spend it on the passion of becoming simple and seeking after God. Experiences. The generation behind me and my, my kids, my grandkids, they're not so much into property. They're into experiences. They want vacations. They want to ski backward off of Everest. You know, they want to do stuff like that. They want to do crazy things and say, man, we captured those moments, didn't we? But all of that expended without God in the middle of it is missing the mark that we're called for, which is to be simple, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. People, this is a big one, isn't it? We all like the people in our life. I love my wife. I love my kids, my grandkids. I got a new one. I'm going to welcome a new grandson in about two months. You know, kids and grandkids are wonderful. My wife is the best thing I've ever had horizontally in life. But you know what? Jesus said, I'm more important than the people in your life. And you can't make an idol out of them. You can't follow them as though they set your agenda. I alone deserve to set your agenda. And so we simply bring all of these things under the banner of Jesus. And then what happens is we're able to give our heart to Christ. Because we don't want it boxed in, you know. These things are confining. Christ is liberating. He wants to free us to be after what it is He's called us to, to give Him our heart. Until we do that, we don't know how to steward anything. We can't be simple in any relationship because we don't know what it means to be simply ourselves as God made us in every venue of life. And that's what God wants us to be. That's His design for us. So think of, think of those things. Think about things maybe that impact you, that you, you need to change. And we're going to look at that just a little bit for a few minutes about how we can pursue this goal, this lofty goal, this infinite goal of knowing Jesus better, making Him known, becoming people of simplicity.
So if you turn to Philippians chapter 3, I think that's on page, see if I have it down there, I do, page 1249 in your pew Bible. We want to look at this and see an apostolic vision of what it means to look simple, to be simple. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways we've experienced it, God, that the way that it has come into our life, it's pierced into our being, God. It's convicted and comforted and affirmed and established us. We thank you for your word that it continues lively always just like that. God, we commend ourselves to you. And we come underneath the authority of your word, God, that provides a place of safety and of life. And we thank you, God, that you've sent your spirit among us, even within us, to write on the tablet of our hearts and then to reflect who you are out of our being, our words, our deeds, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul says this, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When he talks about flesh in this context, he's talking about the best that we can do outside of Christ Jesus. The best we can think, the best we can emote, the best we can choose, all that we can do in the strength of our own being, he describes that as flesh. He says, Though I have myself reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless but whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ now that's a very powerful statement isn't it? this is a guy that had he had church life down in like Flint, man. He had four bears that had gone before him. He'd climbed the pinnacle of righteousness under the Jewish law and under the Jewish codes that he'd been brought up under. He was blameless. He had all of this established. He'd kept all the rules that God had given him, and he had a couple of PhDs in law abiding. But he said when it came to him one day, this wasn't really what God was asking for. This really wasn't God, what God had designed for me. And he realized in his own heart he wasn't right with God. And he found Christ Jesus, and he began to dispose of all that stuff. It became disposable things. He calls it rubbish. He said, I cast it behind me for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Look how he defines this knowledge in verse 9. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him. Listen, that's very powerful, isn't it? To know God. Jesus praying the night before he's crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's speaking to his Father, he's speaking to him about us, about the disciples and all who will believe through their testimony, coming down even to this generation. And he says, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Isn't that a powerful thing to think about? This is eternal life, knowing, knowing Jesus, simply knowing him. This is cosmic nepotism. Have you ever gotten anything because of somebody you knew? Have you ever received a job because someone else recommended you? Maybe the person that was hiring knew your mom and dad or your uncle and they really liked that person. They said, on the basis of knowing this person, I'll give this person this job. This is what Jesus is saying. 
if we know him, we get into heaven according to who we know, not what we've done, not what we can accomplish, not what we hope to accomplish, but on the basis of knowing Christ Jesus, simply knowing him. How can we know him better? Paul says, man, I'm going to get rid of everything. I know him. I want to know him more. This journey of simplicity is also our destination. You and I are to bring everything, all of our property, our people relationships, our stuff, our desire for power, all of those things under this umbrella of knowing God and loving Him and being loving to other people because of that knowledge of Him. So I want to encourage that. And I just think, think with me about, uh, about my own testimony. You can kind of think through your own testimony as we go. 1973, I met Jesus. And I remember, I remember the, the days that followed my new birth. Man, I was all in for Jesus. Everything I had, everything I had, everything I desired all of a sudden took second place. And I began to pursue and long for Jesus. And I did that for several months. And then life kind of intervened, you know, and started pushing me off the side. And I kept the pursuit going, but with less vigor, you know, with, with less intensity. And in 1979, God called me and he said, you know, uh, you're kind of discontent, aren't you? kind of dissatisfied with what's going on. And I had a good job. I was working for the government, you know. Well, kind of working. You don't work a lot in the government, at least where I was. But <laughs> they were paying me well to do nothing. And, and I, you know, it looked like some good retirement benefits if I stuck in there, you know. And maybe I could even get involved in things that I really wanted to do with them. And God said, you're not very satisfied, are you? I said, no, God, I'm not. He said, the reason you're discontent is because you're not responding to me like I designed you to respond to me, giving yourself to me wholly through pastoral ministry. Not everybody's called a pastor or be an accountant or to be a lawyer, to be a banker, to be a teacher, to be a rancher. But everyone is called to give all they are to Jesus. And when I responded to God, it was like an, another all-in moment for me. And man, I all in. And for the next 10 years, I saw God do extraordinary things in a little church in the mountains of New Mexico where he sent me to pastor. It was just, it was amazing. And we were living, I had two little girls, so I went into pastoral ministry. I remember when I was a kid, my sixth grade teacher said, I want you to write down how much money you want to make when you grow up. This is like 1963. And so I wrote down $10,000. <laughs> and in 1981, when I left employ to go to work as a pastor, I was making $8,400. And I had two kids. And I had another one in the process of that ministry. And you know, we didn't have any insurance for 15 years. My two older girls left my home before I had any insurance. Did you know God took care of us? Isn't that amazing? And I wasn't even thinking about not having insurance. I was thinking about, man, I want to know Jesus better. I want to make him known, you know. And then I had a crisis experience in the late 90s, and I left ministry for three years, and I was working as a construction project manager. And I had a renewal. God called me back into ministry in 1999. Man, I was so glad because I thought, I'll never get to preach again. And he called me back into ministry. And I was all in again. And then in 2007, I'd kind of leveled off in ministry, you know. Things were good. I was making a little bit more money. It looked like, you know, I, was even, I even, got, even had some benefits. Had insurance and and I was kind of leveling off. And a guy came into my church with sharp elbows. And he was wanting to know more about Jesus. And he kept pushing me. He kept coming up to me. He's asking me questions about stuff. You know, what's this mean? What's that mean? And boy, all of a sudden, I realized, man, I've kind of been going to sleep on this thing. And so in 2007, I was all in again. 
And then in 2018, I came on staff at First Pres, and I was all in. And then last year, I was trying to live all in. And then it, then it dawned on me. Jesus said, you know, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. I'm all in. You're to be all in every day, simply living in the light of who God is, giving who you are, what you have, and all the influence you have in life. You're to give that to God every day. God, make the most of me. Because as John Wimber said, I heard him one time at a conference say, listen, I'm pocket change to God. He can spend me wherever he wants. That's who we are. We're pocket change to God. He is to be able to spend us freely. He spent himself freely to buy us. We don't belong to ourselves. Our bodies have been redeemed, not just our spirits and our minds. Everything we are, everything we've got has been purchased for the glory of God. And it's the only way that we find satisfaction in giving ourselves simply to God. What's that look like? You know, how does that happen? What's, how do we get that going? Well, I just want to refer you to Matthew chapter 6, Howard's been so good teaching us these spiritual disciplines over the last several weeks. And he's taught us about fasting, about solitude, about silence. He's taught us about prayer. He's taught us about, fast, about worship, about service. All these things that we can target and use in our life on this journey of being simply all out for God. So I want you to think about what Jesus says. First of all, when, before he gets to chapter 6, what we have is chapter 6 in Matthew. At the end of chapter 5, he says, You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? That's way out there. But that's our calling, and it will happen. And Jesus said, here's some, here's some tips. Here's some advice. Here's what you can do. And he says, when you give... You know, when stuff begins to crowd our mind and our heart crowds our houses and we want more. I remember Tom Thatcher told me one time before he passed away about a guy that used to be a member of this congregation. He said he'd sold him three or four houses over the years and they were bigger and fancier all the time. And he said, let me, let me ask you a question. How big is big enough? The guy didn't like that question. How much is enough? How much is enough? Jesus says, Paul repeats him pretty much. If we have food and raiment with this, we'll be satisfied. Oh man, we've moved a long way from that, haven't we? We've moved a long way from that. Jesus says, here's how to stay close. Here's how to come back. When you give. And so when we give, we begin to break the bondage, the addiction even of greed and envy and covetousness. When we give away, when we start giving tithes and offerings, when we start sponsoring those who are poor and needy, when we start giving, it breaks the dominion of that selfishness and God begins to shine brighter in us and through us. He says, listen, when you pray, and you remember how often he told us to pray? Our daily bread. When you pray daily, when you come to me, recognize again, it's my name that's to be elevated. It's my kingdom, not yours, that's to come. Remember this. Remember this. And so we pray and we learn to pray constantly. We simply live life in conversation with God. Then he says, and when you forgive, how about that? Forgiving, keeping short accounts with other people. Constantly be seeking to be merciful because we want to be treated the way that others treat us. We want to treat others the way that we ourselves would like to be treated. And finally he says, when you fast, man, that's kind of falling on hard times, isn't it? Fasting. You know, John Wesley wouldn't lay hands on anybody to ordain them into local ministry that didn't fast twice a week. And that was his lifelong habit. 
fasting, putting aside so he could seek God. A fast that would feed the poor, that would clothe the naked, that would cause the breach to be healed, it says in Isaiah 58. And so we're called to practice these simple disciplines. But it's not real simple because we war against that. And our culture advertises, don't do that, buy better. You know, I used the example in 830. Some people say, well, my old Mercedes doesn't have as neat a taillights as that. I'm going to get a new one. Really? Why do you think they re-engineer cars every year? To attract people to buy them that don't need them. That's why. We are, we are living in a society that Richard Foster says is plagued with a passion to possess. And what ends up happening is the stuff we get, the things we get, the people that we relate to, they begin to possess us rather than us understanding God possesses us for His glory. So I want to encourage you because Paul says this, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, writing from prison, because Jesus has become His treasure. And where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. God wants to free our hearts from vain idols, from treasures that do not fulfill. He wants us to know, I've got treasures laid up for you in heaven. You begin investing here, you will never regret what you invest in me and in your relationship with me. And you will discover that your life is a glory and an honor to me simply because you've turned toward me. You begin to pursue me. Let me pray with us. Father, we uh, thank you for this day. God, we bless you for your goodness. Thank you for a time to gather, to be your people. God, to hear your voice. It's your word, Lord, that gives life. It's your spirit in that word that makes us lively. I'm asking, Lord, for myself. I'm asking for all of us that we would respond to your great love more and more all the days of our life until when we meet you face to face. It's the next logical step because we've sought you here. God, we ask this. Bless your word to our hearts. Glorify your name in us. Be magnified here. 